0: to Talk Radio. P L L baby. I? Oh, these various rappers are so hilarious. We put the mic down, but you ain't qualified
1: to carry this y'all. Tracks of garbage, your bars are miscellaneous. So throwing so your joint at my car was spontaneous. spontaneous, 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 spontaneous oh, yeah. Oh, yeah leaving on purpose. I love bringing that shit right at you, doing to door service. Instantaneous, you would still get your shit. Bust. Only spontaneous, spontaneous. All aboard. The spontaneous express. Nevertheless, always the more. From the pool table to the kitchen floor. Next out z five. Luda, Luda, Luda.
2: Fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You
3: know, I'm here uh, shouting you out
2: for your birthday and making this a grand occasion. occasion. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday,
1: baby! Hope you hear many more, many, many, many more. May everything you wish for become a reality, and you know, I just wish you lots of love and so fast. It's spontaneous. A new
0: decade, 2020. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. Mm. Yes. And I'm loving every moment. Every moment. This is the new chapter. New saga. Keep watching me. There's more to come. More to come. More to come.
2: On Blog Talk Radio Nation, you are tuned into a PLM Radio exclusive interview. I am LeVar Evans. Welcome to Chicago, PLM Chicago. It is now known here over the next hour. You know, we can't thank you enough for your excitement with this program tonight and listening to it wherever you are. But here in Chicago, of course, all of you know it is the epicenter of the NBA All-Star game tonight. We've got an all-star in the music industry in our own right that I am very excited to have as my guest. There's a few things that I want to uh, say before I do bring my special guest on tonight. First of all, uh, this month, as you know, it is Spontaneous's annual Celebrity Birthday Celebration 2020, so happy birthday to her. I know she's celebrating all month. I'm pretty sure she is celebrating somewhere tonight as she is listening to this program. Uh, for those of you who are in the age of Aquarius, such as me, it's cold, but we deal with it, <laughs> but, uh, I'm excited because tonight, uh, when I found out that my guest was coming on, I, I always like to do a little research into the what they do, and I usually like to introduce them to you and have them tell you, but my guest... For those of you who are in the music industry, this gentleman needs no introduction. I've seen so many things, great things written about him. Spontaneous has talked about him. And, you know, just to even tell you, uh, you know, I've heard everything such as, uh, in, you know, just overall wonderful things. And one of the quotes, I have it here, and I will tell you, uh, one particular person uh, who said that, you were so cool and that you've always been the guy behind the scenes making it happen. And I know that fun. has is uh, said that you are pretty much on level of the Clive Davis of the recording studio. That's a high, high honor. <laughs> well, welcome, Albert Powell, to the program. First of all, how are you this evening? Man, I don't know where to. That's crazy. Are you sure you got the right person, man? I'm that's sure I have the right person, and I've that, <laughs> heard so yeah, many great things you, and that's why I'm so excited have to have you on this evening, this and I know you are joining us person. from a special place. Can you tell us where you're from, coming from tonight?
4: Well, I'm calling you from a
2: really cool place.
4: I am at Rittenhouse Soundworks out in Germantown.
1: This is pretty
4: slamming. When, when I knew I was going to be on the show, it was very important for me to be somewhere really cool. I couldn't be at the rehearsal studios, which no longer exist. So I went to the next best thing, and I went to a buddy of mine named Joey, Joey Heyer. He owns Crystal Clear Recording, and that's in actually the first floor of the old 1020 building. You could ask Fawn. She's walked past those doors many, 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 many times. It turned out that Joey said, oh, man, Al, I I can't help you. I'm sorry. I'm not at the studio. I can't get you in and we had to connect some other time. So we had a delightful conversation for a minute or two, caught up on a few things, and that was slamming, but I couldn't come up with something really cool to be. So then I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's close to the rehearsal studios? I thought, oh, wait a minute, Rough House. I'll call up Phil Niccolo. So I get a hold of Phil. I'm like, Phil, man, I'm looking for a really cool place. I can't be at my studios like I used to be to do an interview. And Phil said, oh, man, you know what I mean? He's got rough house. He's got rough nation. He's mm-hmm. done everything. He's worked for, like, Sean Lennon, everybody. Wow. And he's like, Al, I can't help you, man. I'm out of town. And it just, it, it just can't work. So then I'm like, oh, man, I think I might just wind up doing this home, at home in the basement. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute. And I, I know a few cats that own studios. And I wind up calling Jim Hamilton. Who owns Written House Sound Works? And Jim and I go far back. He used to be the percussionist with Boys to Men. Wow. Now he's out of town, but his wife said, "Man, Al, come on in. I'll, I'll find you a small room. You could sit and you could talk." <laughs> so right now, as I'm talking to you, there's a concert going on upstairs in a performance <laughs> area that's slamming. um uh, wow. uh, Paul Simon's son has recorded here, and all kinds of stuff's going on here. So at the written house soundwood. So I'm stashed in a room that's like part library, part green room, next to a kitchen, next to a really cool, like I don't know, like green room area, and I'm all by myself and it's slamming. <laughs>
2: You know, I almost wish you – know, we have a little time. I'm almost wishing that this would be one of those things where you could take us upstairs so and we could hear the concert. But we'll we'll get we'll get with business first tonight. Yeah, at, at some those point, those things, man, that, 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 I want to talk that would to be
4: – Absolutely. They, once a month they do a thing called the Musicians' Gathering here. And it's, I think, it's like the third Sunday of the month. And they just – this is like the 45th one. And it's amazing. I mean, the talent in this city, well, I mean, spontaneous, they'll tell you. It, it just knocks you out, you, and it lives with you. I'm from Philly. I love Philly, man. I, I've spent 23 years in my rehearsal studios. I've worked with probably about 25,000 bands. Wow. Uh, that's what my records indicate. Boys to Men, Sister Sledge, the Pointer Sisters, Brian Wilson from the from the Beach Boys, Jimi Hendrix's guys, Mitch Mitchell, Noel Redding. And like, you know, constantly everywhere I go, I mean, it's like Philly musicians. And, and the talent that used to come into those rehearsal studios, here I am 10 years since that part of my life changed up a little bit. And here I am just going around to see as many of those musicians that used to frequent my halls. And I'm just blown away. I really am, man. It, it's a it's a very
2: special thing. Wow. Well, of course, we're definitely going to – I'm, th- I'm going to tell people tonight. I'm going to actually throw out the scripts as a normal interview show goes because there's so much history and there's so many great stories that I'm sure Al has to – for us tonight. Hopefully, we can get the best ones in here within the next hour, but I'm pretty sure this is also going to probably call for part two at some point. But uh, let's start first here about, uh, of course, my beautiful boss, Spontaneous. And how did you first come to meet Spawn? I know for a lot of people who know Spawn's story, Spawn is also a very talented artist. And I know that you have seen that talented side. Talk a little bit about that. How did you meet her? Talk about the type of artist that she was.
4: Oh man, be 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 honored to my um, at my rehearsal studios. A lot of folks used to come in. It, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. I wanted um, I I want my uh, spontaneous screensaver sent to me, and I was hoping to have a poster put up here at the at the uh, recording studio so she could be here while I'm standing here doing stuff. So that's going to happen. We'll figure that out, but. She's got to be in the room. So, oh. but anyhow, back in the day when I had my rehearsal studio, she came in and I remember her, I, she just slamming. she would, she would come in and I had about eight rehearsal studios going on around me um, and a soundstage and a recording studio. It was like a small little eight track studio. Give you an idea how long ago that was. <laughs> and we had a production studio and also a small graphic art studio as well. Spontaneous came in with a couple cats. One guy in particular, our buddy Morris. A big shout-out to Morris McFarland. He's doing stuff with a guy named Al BN and uh, a small music store. So anyhow, Morris and I kept in touch about stuff, and he said I should talk to Spontaneous and so forth. So anyhow, they were good friends. They came in. Um, She was doing drumming stuff, and she sang. And I'm telling you, man, when she would walk down the hall I mean, we never really spoke about this much, but when she walked down a hall, and I, the rehearsals were set up in a way that people could sit on a, believe it or not, a, uh, a church bench, a full-size, okay. like, block-long church bench. Now, I could almost hear anytime Spontaneous was coming to our small little office. I had a small store called the Wawa, W-A-H-W-A-H. W-A-H-W-A-H. And I used to sell, like, you know, coffee, tea, sticks, strings, stuff like that. And people would come in and schedule their performances and so forth. And she would walk down the hall, and I I knew she was coming. Everything would just be quiet. People would stare at her, and jaws would drop. I could hear people's jaws dropping before she got to me. Amazing. So she would come in and just, like, yeah, just cute as a peach And like say hey Al this is what's going on And this and that she would keep me informed about What she was doing musically And it was slamming I mean it really was And before I knew it within a heartbeat It seemed like she was in town And then had other opportunities to jump Out of town and continue So I guess it was like probably around Oh I don't know uh, Shortly after I guess I saw her she got opportunities To split and just do her
2: music Wow So uh, I guess uh, as a person of music, uh, you know, I guess one of these days we're going to have to do something as to where we could set this up and have her uh, play some music one day. I'm going to try and prod her to do that. I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, you know, I guess in regards to, you know, her music, uh, because I know she has, and this is one of the best things, and I think that's about everybody is such a wide, range in music and I guess that really does help for a musician to have that appreciation of everything from you know rock to rap to you know classical and to everything else and I, I guess you could pretty much see that early on is that her range in music too right? Yes absolutely
4: and like I said she had like a drumming background, a musician's background and she was heavily respected amongst all her peers and other people that would be in the studio that's pretty heavy I mean, that doesn't happen much. A lot of folks in Philly's pretty, you know, not necessarily an easy place to play music. People are hard on one another at times mm-hmm. um, it, it, in a good way, I should say, you know, but like I said, from the beginning, I guess by the time she actually showed up at the rehearsal studios, it was all about business. It's like, Al, you know, I'm not here to fool around. My guys are serious. Let's go, you know, and then she would, you know, settle up with me. The door would get open. She'd go in and she'd work. You know, it wasn't like, you know, a place to more or less, let's say, uh, just meet other people. And, and no, no, not at all. In her case, she was, you know, if that was the case where she met people and, and passed music back and forth and other things, that was all good. It was in my, you know, during the time she was probably rehearsing, we'd have like Chubby Checker in one room and Sister Sledge, the Stylistics, the uh, Intruders,
3: The tramps,
4: all these folks were, like, in all the rooms around her at any point. I mean, Mm -hmm. at any given day, it just, that's the way it was. Our studios were pretty much hopping, I don't know, probably from, like, maybe about 4 in the afternoon to, like, after midnight. Some people used to come in and do a lockout. But, yeah, like I said, she had the respect of all those people, you know. It, It was pretty heavy. Wow. Now uh, I can't, you know, I'm I'm dying to hear some of her stuff. So, you know, I I would definitely, you know,
2: prod her to do that. <laughs> so there we go. Tonight we're actually going to implore that uh, she uh, grace us with doing that at least one more time. I know she's <laughs> gonna she love me for that, but uh, yeah. So I know that there, and like I said, I like throwing out the scripts on interviews like this because there's so much to cover and so much to discuss. We're actually going to do something if you guys can bear with us in a little bit. I do hope that um, you all can hear it. Um, We're going to try a little something here because Alba actually bought in a clip, uh, a special clip that is pertinent to today. And I'm going to have you set this up a little bit if you can uh, play it for us here after you set it up. All right.
4: Uh, Let's see here. Let me see if I can get my little widgets to work. It was kind of weird. Um, I was very excited for this. and. I've listened to your intro music, and I love it. And there's a friend of mine are called AM Radio. Uh, I know the woman named Sue Tears is the singer. Her husband, Kevin, is uh, also a singer, percussion player. And I knew that they did one of these tunes. And So I asked them politely. I said, listen, um, I went to go see them on Friday night. I said, I'm going to be doing something on Sunday. I'm pretty excited. Can, we, can you maybe do me a favor? And I was in a really crowded bar called the Rib House, really well-known for jazz and rock and stuff out right outside of Philadelphia. Jocko's played there and all kinds of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, CB Wonder's band came in to hang out with Sue and have her sing when he was in town. So it's like a musician's place. So here I am at this place. I get a hold of Kevin and Sue. The band's called AM Radio. I said, if you don't mind, can you play a song for me? And they said, sure, Al. I said, well, I want you to change it up a little bit. So this is going to be a little hard to hear. Uh, my apologies immensely, but uh, in the spirit of just saying happy birthday. So here goes. Let's we'll see if we could. Whoops. There okay. we
3: go. We're going to go like that.
2: We you were able to yeah. hear that. Yeah, we're going to, you know, and I was going to say, we're going to uh, somehow, some way add this clip to one of our pages, because if you could not hear it, they actually sent out a birthday shout out uh, to spontaneous. <laughs> I did hear that. That was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, they're slamming. I
4: mean, they changed up uh, Aquarius to spontaneous, and Sue's <laughs> a phenomenal singer. At some point, you know, it's just it's just my nature. I, You know, when you guys – when you guys get here at some point we got to do a little tour of Philadelphia and you got to meet some folks
2: we got to set up like a dinner and we we got to do some stuff when you come here to Philly definitely definitely Philly is definitely on my uh list of places to hit and I know some friends that have been to Philadelphia and you know for someone that has been in Philly for a while such as yourself you have seen you know a little bit here of the music industry change so often, and I know you have a lot of great stories. I know you went off mentioning at the beginning about uh, Boys to Men, and you know such you know great hits that people don't know about, like the Intruders and like the Philly Sound. You know, yeah. I, I grew up on you know everything from Motown to The Atlantic, but also I think one of the things for me uh, that's exciting when I hear the Philly Sound because I think of a great band that i don't think gets a lot of credit and that's uh mfsb um wow wow (laughs) love them um yeah but for you uh for this i mean you have seen like you said over 20,000 that's that's a lot i mean even i i gotta have to take that in 20 over 20,000 bands here or 25,000 probably yeah, yeah. What's changed from the time that you first started doing this to now? And if you could, if you could share a couple of stories maybe about some bands that, you know, you saw back then that are, you know, have really come along since and their beginnings. Well,
4: it's a it's a, lo- a definitely a loaded question. There's a lot of history in there. Yeah. When I first started, it seemed to be pretty, it seemed to be like an unspoken, I don't know, um, sort of like protocol, we'll call it. Bands would get together, and it didn't matter what kind of band, whether it be a gospel band, a rock band, wherever, whomever. It seemed like most gospel bands would actually get a chance to rehearse in a church or downstairs in a rec room area. Uh, Heavy metal bands, a little bit different. They weren't necessarily banging out heads at churches. They might be in somebody's friend's garage. Definitely not in the basement, but outside in the garage. Then they would play together, and... A lot of the folks, the bands would all look at each other like, okay, we got to do something. We got to rehearse, get better. We got to record, get a what's a press kit, a promo kit, maybe headshots. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And so these guys would start to work on that. Well, I'm trying to give it a, an age time, a, a, let's say a a, chrono- a chronological time, might be like around the 80s. So bands are like, you know, coming together. They would no longer want to rehearse at each other's houses they would come to me. And I, at the time, had a partner named Michael Marquardt, very dear, very, very, very dear friend of mine who did all this with me. And a starting member of our team was a guy named Dom DeJoseph, who was, wasn't with us really that long. He did about two years into our situation. And then he went on to different things. So bands would come to us, and we opened up rehearsal studios, like eight of them, within a minute. I had 40 amplifiers, nine drum kits. Uh, I had endorsements from uh, Remo Drums and Ibanez Guitars. They're like, Al, you got a, these kids coming to you and playing. We'd like to get their opinion on a new guitar that we're developing. You're right down the road, about you know, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes down the road, we'll bring you guitars. You keep them, sign for them, and let people do whatever they want. You can rent them out if you want, whatever. So wow. my youngest client was 10 years old. His parents used to bring him, drop him off, and he would come in and try to learn guitar from almost anybody that would teach him. And here I am handing him a guitar that's, like, soon to be worth, like, $900 because it's being developed. And then they would take his notes as seriously as somebody else's, you know, like a a major player, like from Cinderella or something like that. Mm -hmm. My oldest client was about 98 years old. He would come in with a really big, big, big orchestra and play and horns and trombones and everybody's dressed in white and they had their like little, small, little uh, lit uh, music stands that had the, the letters of the name on the front, like you would see on like Merv Griffin or something. Right. So all this would go on and bands, like I said, would come to us and rehearse. Then they would realize, okay, we either got to play out. we In order to play out, Usually that meant going to a, making a contact at a nearby club. The club owner may want you to submit at that time a cassette tape. It's like I don't know who you are. You're telling me you're great. Give me a cassette tape. Well, that meant recording. So the band would try to set up a recording thing in their rehearsals, and they would find like this is crazy. I can't play drums and and, and do settings on recording. I, I I can't do that. That that's just weird. Well, well, that was weird. And um, so then people would come to us. We opened up a recording studio. So we actually just tried to really mold our whole existence as a business around the dreams and wishes of musicians and artists. Mm -hmm. We tried our best to, okay, oh, wait a minute, you need recording. We'll set up a recording studio. Uh, you need to do a live huge performance like Boys to Men when they did some auditions and stuff uh, to go on the road with um, uh, MC Hammer. Mm-hmm. And it was just like our our soundstage was that big, that good. Mm-hmm. And so that worked out pretty well. So slowly, as I mentioned, all this stuff was sort of like percolate. They're trying to record. They're trying to get head shots. We opened up a photography studio and wow. we did band shows. So the idea was just sort of keeping with our name, our address. We were known as 1020 RPM for a really long time. The Mm -hmm. R stood for rehearsals, the P for production, and the M was for management. My partner, Michael, was very interested in managing bands. Mm -hmm. Um, I was interested in opening up a club, which is really what I'm still interested in doing, Mm -hmm. Um, a small club. Um, And I just want a performance space. So I'm thinking, like, this could actually work into that. The soundstage, unfortunately, was its own existence, so it couldn't really be a club. Uh, right. So my dream was to like, put on hold. Like, okay, I'm going to forego a club and just really maintain the um, – I want to maintain the production area, the uh, soundstage. And, uh, you know, you would have somebody like Cinderella come in or the Beach Boys. They would stay for a while, and they would make themselves home and record. But as you mentioned, your initial question was how did it change over time, and it wasn't really that long of a time. We saw it with our friends, the Warehouse Recording Studio was right next to us. They were recording Bon Jovi next door, and um, the Philadelphia Boys Choir was recorded next door, and then further down the street, T-Life had a recording studio, and all these things were going on, and then it seemed like probably a lot of other folks speak about this. I know spontaneous could easily speak about it, is that the the technology itself changed. We chose not to go up to the next level of recording, which was all digital. That would have meant we would have had to change everything over. And we we just couldn't do that. So slowly bands started to do more stuff on their own. So there was a bunch of years, I know, several mastering laboratories that had $4 million worth of equipment, literally, like just major places. Over time, bands thought, hey, I just bought a Mac. I could actually go home and get a garage, something or other, and I could do this. Well, I mean, okay, the answer is yes, you can do something. It took a while, and it actually bumped out a lot of recording studios, but it took a while. It took everybody to go out and buy, let's say, a $2,000 Mac to try to do something. Enough people do that, then nobody's recording. And if nobody's recording, then people are folding their businesses and changing up. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, now then halfway into that, let's say about five, ten years into that technology, that do-it-yourself attitude, start to look around like, wait a minute, we're not really getting anywhere. We're in a room. Uh, we have somebody who knows, thinks they know what they're doing. Um, he's jumping out behind the drums every 10 minutes. He's setting things, tweaking this, tweaking that. So the other band members are looking at each other like, this ain't working. I mean, like, we're not really, they've thought that, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is they treat or had treated the recording like it was a a a non important member of the band, and by doing that, that changed up a lot of things um and now things are back to the opposite you well, you'll even see now people like Neil Young and stuff talking about recording records yeah and but they all stick with trying to go to the people who do what they do best mm. and it it took a while for that to go well,
2: let say go back to that. Um, I do have a. Uh, as I said, I do have a fo- bit of a follow-up question in regards to that. Uh, first of all, before we kind of continue on, uh, if you're just tuning in, welcome to this PLM Radio exclusive interview with my special guest Albert Powell from Chicago, PLM Chicago tonight. It's a little bit cold, I think, everywhere. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, we are warm in here, and definitely warm with uh, telling some sto- some great stories here. And you had just talked about the process. Is it a little bit easier now for someone to really get into a studio to record than it was back then? It kind of seems now it seems a little harder because you have to have some things fall into place. Because I know you said you had people from the age of 10 all the way up to 98 coming into a studio, being able to record, or is it the same? Or has nothing really changed in between then?
4: Um, That's a tough question. I see that a lot. I, I go to a fair amount of clubs. I see people play music. I'm very grateful when I find it therapeutic beyond my ability to comprehend that why music is so important to me. Um, I see musicians and, and I'm always curious. I used to work in a record uh, rehearsal I'm sorry, I used to work in a music store. So I used to sell stuff and would have to be kept up on the newest um equipment so I could tell or talk to somebody about a recording studio purchase or something. Um I mean, it seems like in one respect it might be a little easier to create than it was before. Hmm. But to a certain extent, that seems to be a hindrance. Um, uh, There are people who think that they could be – let's say like a rapper or better yet uh, um, 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 somebody who thinks that they could be a DJ. Well, I mean – some folks really know like i think it's like quest love he says you know i knew the interstitial music of commercials i knew the beats of things and he just was mesmerized by that stuff and and it makes sense like like look at him he's he's just great at that yeah, and sort of like I don't mean to be all over the place with that answer as far as that goes, but there are like I'm saying that he was able to essentially use recordings and and sort of like sound snippets. It's almost as if he's going out in the world and collecting sounds and rhythms. It's like part of his nature. It's what he likes. Other folks think they could do that, but they don't know, so they wind up spending some time and trying to be creative and. And it's, it's like, no, man, you're missing it. You know what I mean? The technology right. made it easy for you to do, like somebody handed you a pen instead of a pencil. And, and here you are writing, but you're not necessarily writing something that's from the heart or something that is, like, just completely moving and about you. Whereas, I guess we use the word broadly, but, like, artists do that. You, you can hand them a pencil or chalk. Um, they they might like the gliding of a pen you know it's like okay I'll I'll write more but it's truly like tapping into their soul I I think some of the technology makes it easy to buy stuff tools but I I do see people stumble over what I think is just the genuine spark of creativity I mean um, I think it helps to be in a band I'm sure the Beatles and the Stones they all were able to uh, bounce off each other and be creative. Challenge each other, uh, which for us as an audience member, it's like, whoa, that sounds great, you know. And you come to find it like uh, David Bowie and and uh, Freddie Mercury apparently argued an awful <laughs> lot during um, was that under pressure. And you're like, what? I, I thought that was like perfect or something. And you're like, no, you get into a little bit of history there. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that it's like wow that's you know comes from what we'll call conflict it's like wow that's wow.
2: interesting now you mentioned just, that you I sat what in that, hmm? what's that I was going to say you mentioned that you sat in the studio with a lot of different bands a lot of different artists looking back uh what memories struck out for you what what was a few of your favorite uh recording sessions that you think about especially on an evening like this
4: well uh, you know, I have had time to reflect on a few things. Recording sessions have been a lot less. and in, in the rehearsal situation, I had quite a few. Um, mm-hmm. I did have Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding come into the rehearsal studios to get ready for a very special performance at the Delaware racetrack in Delaware State. So they're mm-hmm. going to play a 40,000-seat racetrack. Uh, they're the headliners. Uh, in the band are some guys from the band UFO. There's the guy who was in the band, ta- or was in the, the TV show Taxi. There was a guy who was the lead singer who apparently was a drug runner, I think, for um, Led Zeppelin and Janis <laughs> Joplin and stuff. So these guys, Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding, had played with Jimi Hendrix. They came to us to rehearse. They were going to be there for a couple of weeks getting ready for this big show. They came into the door, and we had a very strict no drugs, no alcohol clause (laughs) in our building. So the first thing that's coming in the door are, like, cases of alcohol and stuff. And everybody would essentially default to me. They would all look at me like, Al, you got to talk to them. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is, like, walk up to Jimi Hendrix's folks and say, listen, dude, you can't come in here with that. (laughs) <laughs> and I did. I had to do that because I had. we were in the public. I mean, I was in a public place. If somebody, God forbid, left us, went over the bridge and got in an accident, I would get shut down. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a private, super-duper private recording studio where you could shut the front door like other recording studios. I was a rehearsal situation. <laughs> so these guys – would come in and I'd have to say, and the guy looked at me and said, what's this, Nazi Germany, man? You won't let us. I said, dude, I can't let you in. So, okay, sunshine, and he started just like, he just wasn't happy. That was Noel Redding. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm shaking my head like, wow, you know, I got records with these guys on them. And here I am telling them like what to do and what not to do and this and that. And then they would set up and go into their recording situation. I'm sorry, they rehearsed in a recording studio and uh, one guy uh, a a guest guitar player started playing some Jimi Hendrix stuff and Mitch Mitchell the drummer he flew over the drums and almost knocked over the guitar player he got really mad at him he wow. said don't you ever try to play that song it was it was um, little wing or red house or, or uh red house yeah. and he got really mad he goes i worked with the original don't you dare play that and I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I never saw anybody, like, you know, just flip out like that. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a quick way of saying, hey, dude, you know, you don't play Jimi Hendrix as a joke. I was in the band. And I'm right. like, well, okay. <laughs> and, you know, you certainly couldn't impress him either. You're, you're not going to play, like, some incredible chops where he would think, oh, wow, you're the next Jimi Hendrix. That was not the case. Wow. So, that you know, that was one kind of like weird wake-up call kind of thing as far as being around, like, major people, you know, like, whoa. And um, I'm trying to think of what else. We had, uh, I guess the band Cinderella would come in use the big sound stage. They had um, some stuff going on with their drummer. So for a while there we had all these drummers from all these bands coming in, mostly all these, like, hair bands, for lack yeah. of a better word. Uh, Rat. And, and other bands would come in and, um, they were getting ready for a tour. Uh, Boys to Men used our soundstage quite a bit to get ready for their MC Hammer tour. That was pretty cool. Keith Sweat came in. I do remember this because everybody came in, I think, but him. Uh, he <laughs> stayed and he went somewhere for the uh, premiere of the Batman movie. <laughs> so so you wanna, all these people you walk uh, around. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, you know, he thought, I don't need to rehearse. The band does. And that's often true. You know, we had, uh, I guess, Sean Kingston come in and do some stuff. And, you know, I I would, the situation with with, um, phones and communication are very different. Um, Back in the rehearsal studios, people would call the main number. I would answer the phone and I would come get you. It's not like a cell phone. So we had... um, uh, Jason Bonham, the drummer for—actually, it's the son of the drummer for Led Zeppelin. So the band members came up to me at one point and said, "Listen, now this is going to be kind of weird. Uh, we want to let you know that uh, if it's okay with you, we hired a stripper to come into the rehearsal studio." And I'm like, "Uh-oh, uh, this is okay. Go ahead, go finish your story." It's like, "No, no, you don't understand. We don't really care that she's a stripper. None of us—it's it, it, it's all good." But she's going to come in dressed as a, um, um, an immigrant officer, uh, I forget what that's called, IS officer, uh, mm-hmm. for people that are in here from out of, out of the country. And I'm like, okay, all right, okay. So just to let you know, Al, is it all right? Okay, yeah, we're good. So <laughs> a little while later, I get this heads up. I get a phone call prior that this girl's coming up the elevator. She's dressed as an officer. She's with her mother. And they have a boom box. So I walk behind her. I introduce her to the room. I let her in. And Jason Bonham is behind the drums. And they click the the button, the play button on the boom box. And music starts to happen, you know, stripper music. And she goes after him as if she's real. He (laughs) runs out of the room screaming like, you know, he's going to get arrested. The band is rolling, in all the floor and the aisle—they're—they're they're laughing their ass off—and is—is it it is just very funny. And—and and they're like, okay, you know, keep your clothes on, you know, just—you did what you did, which is great. You made them run, and that was <laughs> hilarious. Oh no! You know, stuff like that. My part—my partner Michael, I think, walked in on a a seance and some sort of like voodoo stuff, and there was candles <laughs> lit in rooms and exorcism
2: happening, you know. You know, when you mention all this stuff, musicians are very, I guess what's the word I want to use here? They're very um, interesting people, I think, correct?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the creativity goes every way, whether it be humor, whether it be uh, obviously being creative on music and stuff like that, and trying to figure out different ways to get their music in the hands of, um, um, you know, successful people at a club, you know, like sticking it, like I said, trying to be like uh, sneaky creative, like getting your cassette and sticking it in the uh, breast pocket of a band like Extreme or something like that that might be in town. And you're just trying to like have a casual conversation with the hopes that like uh, later on at night he's going to stumble upon your cassette and go, oh, I'll make these guys famous, you know. I mean, everybody's trying to be
2: creative. Is there anybody that you ever saw – and the studio, who you thought at the time, man, this is going to be a really big act, and is there also somebody who you saw who thought that they were a big act that you were like, mm, I can't see this lasting long
4: that's tough. Um, I guess when Boys to men came to the rehearsal studios, I thought they were extraordinarily talented. I mean, they could just sing. the four of them could just like stand in a room and sing and harmonize and it was just beautiful and i'm thinking like, to myself like i don't i don't i don't understand uh, you know you, you're hoping like yes i hope this becomes successful i just didn't see it at the time i i couldn't think that clearly i i thought they were extraordinarily talented but i didn't feel like the rest of the world would acknowledge that and, you know, thankfully, and, and as often as the case, I felt, you know, I was wrong. It was just like, you know, people embraced that, Philly embraced it big time. I didn't think of the uh, the love of the neighborhood, the love of fellow musicians. And I, I, that was a big wake-up thing to me. That made me a little bit more like, okay, let things develop. Let Before you start saying this or that, let it go. Let it, let it percolate and see what happens. Um, so yeah, like you know voice to men was a big lesson to me in that respect. I mean, extraordinarily talented. Um they held auditions. There was like three days worth of musicians coming in to play with them. In fact, like, I'm standing here now because of Jim Jacks um Jim Hamilton. You know. I mean he was a percussion player for them. <laughs> and a lot of those rehearsals and, and auditions were done at my place, uh ten twenty RPM at the time. But uh, I'm trying to think of, no, I I often felt that everybody who came in, they all, um, the, the degree, and I think it's, you probably hit on this big time as far as artists go, how they think about things, uh, how they think about themselves, I think they often feel that they're kind of behind the eight ball, eight ball to begin with, so they fight very hard to put themselves out there, um, whether it be machismo kind of thing or ultra sexy, like they're always trying to, hey, look at me, take me serious. Uh, I, I have uh, a product or, you know, I'm a good drummer or this or that. And um every now and then you meet people um that are just real low key and you're like, whoa, I found it amazing Uh, Often the case that a lot of big recording studios often used very low-key, responsible session musicians. That was the big thing. Uh, It would be very common for, like, next door, uh, the warehouse recording studio. They might call me up and say, hey, Al, who can you recommend for this or that? And I might give a name or two. And they're like, no, 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 no. He's got to be on time. It's like, well, this guy's a great player. And then Al, I don't care if he's a great player. He's got to be on time. He's got to be able to take instructions. You know, this is not his record. He's going to be on the next uh, Britney Spears or something. <laughs> and and you're like, okay. You know, so you had it. you know, and this is coming from the guy that owns the studio. And you're like, okay, gotcha. You know, I, I, I liked being the, um, sort of like the uh, distribution center of talent, as it were. Somebody might come to me and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Well, I mean, I'd see, you know, like I said, about 25,000 bands, and the players were at, at the time off the chart, you know. So it would be great to say, hey, you know, call up Steve Green to play bass or Bruce Kaminsky or, hey, what kind of music are we talking? Well, it's real ethnic. It might be like real Persian music, and you got to be really good at like, you know, reading Turkish stuff. It's like, oh, okay, I know somebody who can do that. Wow. So that
2: was fun. Yeah, and for the folks listening, uh, I'm going to get to something near and dear here to Al's Harton here in just a moment, but stay tuned after we're done here tonight because when the show ends, I'm actually going to play in its entirety uh, the mix from the beginning of the show, as I always do with every one of these shows. We have a great mix that's always put together by DJ Wahid, and actually Spontaneous has told me tonight to make sure that you listen in as well because she is dedicating this to you. So I uh, definitely hope that you're able to listen in along with everybody else here tonight. So uh,
3: a great whoa. mix
2: that was done by DJ Y. He's a shout-out to him. Um, one of the things, and I guess every town seems to have their Mount Rushmore of great acts that come from there. A lot of people aren't, you know, probably – the best ones to probably put together like that list, but for someone that has been a part of the Philly Sound here uh, over the last few years, if you had to put together your own, and know this is going to be a tough question, if you had to put together your own Mount Rushmore acts that have come out of Philly, who would you put on it? Oh, man, way too hard of a question. I'm <laughs> going to dog you as
4: politely as I can. Um, I, I, I just truly can't answer that, but I can tell you that um, I, I'm literally kept alive by a lot of these folks, man. I mean, I know some amazing folks here in Philly. Um, let's say, for instance, there was a band that used to come into my rehearsal studios. Uh, uh, two women were the lead singers, uh, a woman named Peg and another well, a woman named Carol. Uh, they used to come in and play. So here it is years later. Okay, it's it's literally years later this woman peg as is, is part of this huge thing in Philly. And I am I'm going to actually pull in uh, new Jersey. So there's like this love collective going on and there's like about 14 or 15 musicians and they dedicate, and, and a guy named Kevin Monco. The, these guys, um, I don't know how to put this. It, it's, it's beyond love. It, it's, I don't know if there's really beyond love, but um, it, it's with such Amazing respect. Let's say you you they do a thing called um, candy volcano. So mm-hmm. here's a bunch of people that used to rehearse at my rehearsal studios independently, at times not knowing each other. So here is a bunch of years later, because of music and their love for David Bowie in this case, they all get together. They may have had me as a common background, like oh, I used to rehearse at that place. And so here they put this thing together out of just sheer energy, sheer joy. And it's an event because there's like 22 of them, so they can't get together every week. You can't, and they do this thing. In fact, uh, Philadelphia does a thing called Philadelphia Loves Bowie, and they were part of this. They played at a small place called the TLA, and it was Candy Volcano and and Peg's a big part of that. She just also did a thing for, um, uh, Joni Mitchell, and oh, wow. I went to this small place. Uh, it was called Aruba. I think there's probably about 400 people fit in there. Uh, Peg's never one to just take all the limelight. She just doesn't do that. She spreads it all around. Before you know it, there's three other singers, and the musicians are all top-notch, top-notch musicians. And they're doing this thing. It's not a tribute. It's like she's trying to communicate from the stage. It's like, you don't understand. When I was 14 years old, I used to listen to these songs. These are part of my fabric. And then she sings it. And uh, people are crying in the audience. And I'm like looking as an observer, like, whoa, this is heavy. And I I, I just floored by stuff like that. Um, so, you know, like I said, Peg, Peg Talbot is somebody who comes to mind. Sue Tears is a phenomenal singer. She's the woman who was singing uh, when we opened up the thing with uh, Aquarius. She's in a band called AM Radio. Yeah. And, oh, man. Uh, a woman named uh, Zuzu Mansoor. She's with... Um, Soraya and she's, her boss is um, Little Stephen I mean she just literally like just rehearsed and recorded and rehearsed and, and toured and, and Little Stephen said you know you're it you're like the last genuine class of people who like went into a rehearsal studio went to a record. like she didn't just show up and like you know just get like a Mac and try to make it all work real quick you know, right. so you put in a lot of the time, and oh god, I mean, you know, his buddy, my Bruce Kaminsky, he's a phenomenal bass player. Um, he's in all, any band that he's a part of is phenomenal. Steve Green, another. Oh god, I can do this for, I can do this for a week, right. and I just like listing names and or bands. Um, I, I, you know, I'm gonna wind up kicking myself quite a bit when I leave. I'm sure. Um, but I, I just, you know, literally and here and for the most part, I mean, the studios have been closed for a while and there are no big record labels to speak of. There's no um I don't know what the word is. There's no clear path to success. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it. And and all these people have picked out their own ways of doing it and, and the creativity is unbelievable. And and I'm just floored by it. You know, like I said, I'm I'm here once a month to see this thing called the uh, Musicians Gathering, where uh, Jim Hamilton does this thing, and I see you know four or so artists. There's a woman named Andrea Clearfield who does the a salon, which is like a, what, a 16th, or early 17th century style of uh, communicating music that came from um, Europe, wow. and she does a thing in her room like a room that she has. I mean, it's her living room. She invites 100 people in, and, you know, it's a very hard thing to get into, and she's very, very, you know, protective of it, which makes perfect sense. I mean, it's something you and, – and yet she highlights all these people, and it's like, man, it's just amazing. It's, it's like I said, one of my biggest driving forces is to uh, make instruments and be with good friends and good friends and, and, and creative folks and open up a, a creative space. That's what I really want to do.
2: And while I know music is near and dear to your heart, there's a couple of things here uh, in regards to uh, charity work that are near and dear to your heart. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I greatly appreciate that. Yes,
4: Um, through a variety of odd circumstances, I was part of a small thing called uh, the Philadelphia Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it was kind of a weird situation where somebody was trying to put some stuff together. Some of the people have passed away, and that whole project has changed. Uh, I'm not anywhere near as close as I once was with it. But I threw that um, through that experience. I met a woman named Sharon Leah, and she's in a band called the Sharon Leah Band. But she's a phenomenal woman. I mean, she's involved in a thing called Ladies Who Rock for a Cause, and as you can well imagine, I mean, it's it's female centric bands that she put together. Uh, and she has them play and she raises money and, and it goes to like helping people with cancer and stuff. I mean, uh, it's like, Al, it's not so much that it, it, yes, I'd like it to be about empowering women and the women, uh, you know, are in bands and there's guys in the bands. They're allowed to be in the bands. It's all good, but it's primarily women focused. And that, that's just amazing. Um, She's, I've seen her raise money just to, to get money together for a woman who – for a patient who needed money for cancer medication. I mean, that's intense. I mean, like, to to think, like, you're going to stand there, and you're going to go through all the trouble of trying to do all the media stuff, you're going to try to get people to come out and pay a few dollars, sometimes I'll say a few more dollars because it's a good cause, and then you're handing over all that money to somebody so they could actually buy cancer medication. That's intense. I mean, and I'm involved um, speaking of cancer. My nephew died of cancer, um, well, probably about a year and a half ago. And through a whole variety of circumstances, um, before he passed away, the this will sound strange, the uh, shirt company Robert Graham, mm-hmm. um, I guess, probably really well known for the, I guess the show called uh, Modern Family. There's a heavyset guy, gay character, mm-hmm. Cam. He often wears a lot of Robert Graham stuff. So you got this shirt company, Robert Graham. They hear about my nephew through a shirt that I was wearing. About uh, I walked into a, a store, and somebody saw a shirt that I was wearing. I designed. And that prompted a conversation about Robert Graham and my nephew, who at the time was very, very, very sick. My brother went out and bought a shirt um, from Robert Graham called Get Well. And that shirt was very important to my nephew at the time. And then Robert Graham heard about it and said, you know, we'd like to meet your nephew. And so in a very short period of time, they wind up meeting my nephew. They did a benefit with him and to raise money. And man, it's just amazing. So here it is a little while later, and I've been given permission they actually designed a shirt for him. It's actually named after him. Nick was uh, Nacho Baratelli. Nacho is his nickname from his uh, soccer buddies, lacrosse buddies. And so I've been given permission to use the pattern to make into a guitar, and I just dropped that off the other day. So, uh, you know, in a few weeks, um, I'm going to be doing some really crazy stuff to try to bring awareness to uh, brain cancer and stuff like that. And I'm only using the resources that I have, which are, like, knowing people like you and spontaneous. You know, I mean, it's all about literally just trying to further the positivity of our
2: experiences. Boy, that sounds weird. Wow. Those are great uh, charities indeed. And uh, hopefully uh, we will be able to get more information to you out there. And uh, there's ways of which you can – I I guess one of the things uh, I'm so excited to have you on here, we have to mention really briefly here exactly where to find you. Of course, everybody knows they can find us at News Comment (laughs) BTR on Twitter, but we can find you on Instagram as well as Twitter and as well as Facebook, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Al Powell. And,
4: you know, like I said, if you're in the Philadelphia area, anywhere nearby and uh, you know, you've been kind enough to listen to me. Like I said, you had plenty of time to jump out and listen to a really important person. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we should hook up and I'll, I'll give you a little tour of the city as it were through my eyes. You got it. And, um, you know, that'd be a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm all about to sharing. I go to a belly dancing thing. I love the Turkish music in Philly and, and, um, I, you know, there's the, uh, the Peekaboo Review and the Burlesque. I mean, the, the creative folks, is a cat named Scott Johnston, who's a friend of mine. He's a phenomenal, like, you know, just a powerhouse of creativity. It's, it's Now, he's a drummer in one instance. He's a singer in another. He's in a band called the Roddenberrys, for crying out loud. It's a Star Trek-themed band. It's crazy. And, and there's another guy named Mono Divina in the Divine Hand Ensemble. The guy plays a thermon. There's like nine people in the country that play a Thurman. He's one of them. He actually could be two of them. He's amazing. I, I, I just, you know,
2: yeah. Uh, I'll drive anywhere you go. I'll drive. It's all good. <laughs> well, your next appearance, the next appearance with us, is going to be coming up on Tuesday, the 25th, uh, six o'clock Eastern time. And I want to make sure, you know. He's not only here, but he will be appearing on POM, the DMV version with DJ FX, so you want to make sure that you'll listen to Al again coming up Tuesday, the 25th, 6 o'clock Eastern time. You can log on to bliss.fm and tune in. Mr. Powell, this has been, it's been, you know, I love interviews like this because they're so eye-opening. I hope that at some point you will write some type of book about your experiences because it's an amazing thing to listen to some of these, you know. It, it's almost like when I was listening to it, I could see this like as a movie. <laughs> that line, of somebody that's been through all of these things and have seen, you know, music history happen before their eyes. Have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah, from time to time,
4: uh, I, I, I honestly feel very strongly about this. I kind of politely kitted spontaneous. It's like, listen, uh, I'm very complimented and very honored that you would ask me to do this. And the answer is yes, only if I talk about Philadelphia and you, and that's my experience. And I said, I, you know, that, that is the truth. I did a lot of stuff with, the, you know, the rehearsal studios and the main point, small little club I worked at. I said, you know, but I said, the trade-off here is at some point in my life, you, meaning spontaneous, and me, I want to sit down and record and write down her stuff. And, you know, like from the standpoint of music and creativity, you know, a different aspect maybe of her life. And I really want to, like, magnify that. So she laughed a little bit, which was nice. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I think about it from time to time all myself. And then I think um, I, like, very much like yourself, there's a, a certain element of, like, just wanting to talk and ask people questions and
2: get to the root
4: of the story, which is, you know, you've been kind enough to do it
2: with me. Well, we can't thank you enough for taking some time out tonight, and we'll definitely be listening again to you on the 25th, 6 o'clock Eastern Time with uh, DJ FX. And, cool. of course, I'd like to thank my lovely boss, Spontaneous, for uh, cool. to wish her a happy birthday, and then, of course, DJ yeah. Wahid for the mix, DJ FX for all of his assistance, and, of course, you, the listening audience, for listening in, because without you, as I always say, there's no yeah. us. I do hope that uh, Albert, you will listen along with me to this mix that I'm about to play here at the end of the show that our, our wonderful boss, Spontaneous, is uh, dedicating to you tonight. So hopefully you'll see right. well. So uh, for all of us here, thank you so much once again for joining us from PLM Chicago for this PLM Radio exclusive. Of course, this interview will always be here on Blog Talk Radio. So if you'd like to listen to you, which we do hope you do, you can listen to it here, and you can also catch this on iTunes under our podcast if you subscribe to it. And it will also be on our Twitter page. And of course, you can catch Albert Powell over at albert.powell31 on Instagram, on Twitter, and also on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, it's Cigar Box Amp. So definitely. Oh, yeah, right. Yes, definitely. Uh, Go support, listen. This gentleman has a lot of history that's just fascinating to hear, and I do hope that you join us again at some point. I'd love to have you on today.
4: I appreciate that very much, man. I, I I was very nervous, as I often am, and this is, uh, you know, you made me very, very comfortable, and I appreciate that. Well, thank we it's is family. that be so
2: you've been here, now you know, and we hope that you're back uh, time yeah, and there. again, uh, gracious, with your presence. So, no, we're definitely going to.
4: Uh, I'll definitely give a uh, spontaneous big, big hug for me and ask her if she got my present that I send her in the mail. So old-style snail mail.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so stay around, if you will, for a few minutes. We're going to play the uh, mix here from DJ Wahid. but for now, that will do it for me. I'm Lavar for our guest, Albert Power, and for all of us here, thank you for listening, everyone. Good night, and enjoy the mix. Thank you so much. Take care. Ooh.
0: The L-M- baby. I, oh, these various rappers are so hilarious. Who we'll put the mic down, but you ain't qualified to carry this. Your track are
1: garbage, your balls are miscellaneous. So, throwing so your joint at my car was spontaneous. spontaneous on I love bringing that shit right at you, door it door, <laughs> I love instantaneous, you would still get your shit, on only spontaneous, spontaneous, all, 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 all aboard. the spontaneous express, nevertheless, always the more, from the pool table to the kitchen floor, next up, z 5 Luda, 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 z uh, yeah. yeah, you know I'm here, uh, Shout you out for your birthday and making this a grand occasion. Happy <laughs> <laughs> birthday, baby! Hope you get many more, many, many, many more. Make everything you wish for become a reality, and you know I just wish you lots of love and so fast. It's
0: spontaneous. New decade, 2020. It's my birthday. birthday. Yes, and I'm loving every moment. Every
3: moment.
0: This is the new chapter. New saga. Keep watching me. There's more to come. More to come. I started in the music industry. I was a drummer with my own band. We toured around the world. But when I came to Philly, I was recording and rehearsing at the legendary studio, RPM. The owner was Albert Powell. All the legendary music artists worldwide would attend and go to this rehearsal studio to record and rehearse in Philly. Albert Albert. Powell Powell. Powell. is the Clyde Davis of studio owners.